Fate would like to thank Colart for sponsoring this episode of Positive Space. A longtime supporter of Fate, Colart are the people behind companies such as Windsor & Newton, Liquitex, Conti, Reeves, and a whole host of others. Need an art supply? One of Colart's companies probably covers it. Find out more at colart.com. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. This is Valerie Powell, and welcome to Positive Space. Today we have Jessica Mojan, who is joining us. So welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Yeah, I thought we could kind of start with you giving us just a quick, brief introduction to your artwork, maybe your teaching background, kind of where where you're at with, with everything. Sure. Well, I consider myself to be a painter, but I use other mediums if the idea calls for it. This is ranged from installation art. I use string and moss recently and um, wire and also photography. So my paintings are based on geography and natural organisms. They are usually considered to be landscapes, but they're often abstract, and I like to show the natural world at different scales and juxtapose seemingly related systems. So maybe something that would normally be very small or microscopic, and then putting that next to something that is normally larger and kind of making them the same size. Very cool. And so how did you become an artist? When were you creative growing up? Were you sort of like the art kid in school? Yes, I was kind of the artist of my class. I mean, growing up, I only had around 18 students in my whole grade. So we all had a goal. (laughs) I didn't have a lot of competition, you know, because we all just did our own thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so where did you grow up? I'm from Rolette, North Dakota, and it's a town of about 500 people. I grew up on a farm. Wow, and so 18 people in your entire class. That's tiny. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and so, you know, and then you went to graduate school, and then you moved down to Arkansas. Is that right? Yes, that's where I am now. Okay, and so you're teaching in foundations there? Yes. So I'm at Arkansas Tech University. What kind of classes do do you teach there? Well, right now I am teaching pretty much all the foundations classes. It rotates by semester. So last semester I taught, I guess that was the spring, I was teaching color design and three-dimensional design. Mm -hmm. And then in the fall, I taught intro to drawing and 2D design. Wow. Well, and so it sounds like your practice is pretty, pretty wide ranging. You know, you use all different kinds of materials and are thinking about space and geography and and landscapes. So do you find that your projects tend to be really wide ranging in terms of materials? Mm, Yes, definitely. I would say, especially in three-dimensional design, I don't, I haven't really worked in 3D that much. But then when I started teaching 3D design, I started using it more in my work. So it kind of goes back and forth that way. I definitely try to vary the mediums because I think students just want to learn how to use a lot of different tools. So if I introduce a lot of things, you know, someone might be really into collage and someone might be really into painting. Someone might prefer graphite pencil. So it's good to introduce all of these things and Usually people find something that they really like. Of course. Growing up, being an artist, how did you know that you wanted to do that in terms of a a job or a career and especially teaching? Yeah, well, I didn't originally think that I was going to be an art teacher or art professor. I didn't really know it was an option for me. I really liked art and I wanted to be an artist, but I also was worried about getting a job because where I grew up, Being a studio artist just really didn't seem like a feasible career option. I thought I needed something where I could work for some kind of company and make money. So I actually double majored in undergrad in public relations and art. 
So that was sort of to appease my parents and then also (laughs) (laughs) sort of to be practical. And I really do enjoy writing and journalism. And I think that I would have fun doing public relations, but I ended up going the art route when I graduated from undergrad. Well, that's curious because, I mean, I feel like a lot of our students probably have had a similar experience, you know, where maybe their parents were like, I don't know about this whole art major thing. Do you feel like you talk about that in the classroom in terms of being able to, you know, relate to that conundrum, you know, of, of being a creative person and, and still wanting to, to eat and make money and, and all of that good stuff? Well, I think that's the reason that most of our majors here are going into graphic design or art education or game design. So that's more career oriented. Um, There are some studio art majors, but, you know, I don't want to lie to them. Being a studio artist is hard. You um, have to figure out what to do to support yourself financially, at least at first. So I'm really happy that being a professor worked out for me and I really enjoy teaching. So for some people that might be the route, but I don't know if we should expect everyone to become professors if they're going to be studio artists. That That isn't realistic either. No, and there really aren't enough universities in the world to support that, right? I mean, right, exactly. <laughs> that would mean all of our students would become <laughs> faculty. Right. And then yeah, they're, that's, they're, that's, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, but it it, it is important to be realistic, you know, but at the same time, be encouraging, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, just getting them to really find what they enjoy and if it's a passion for them and they really want to make a go of it, I definitely encourage them to do it. Right. Well, I mean, and I, I found that in, in foundations, I, I often feel like I'm a cheerleader, you know, or I'm some kind of coach saying, hey, this is really great. And it's because a lot of my students are animation majors or graphic designers. And so when they're working with materials that they're pretty unfamiliar with, you know, like paint or something like that, they're often really maybe uncomfortable at first. Do you experience that, that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, you know, I really want to help make foundations classes as relevant as they can be for students, um, no matter what their major is. And, you know, we even get students with majors that aren't in the field of art at all. So I think that the skills are important for anyone to learn things like teamwork and critical thinking finding solutions to problems. So problem-based learning. A lot of our our new, well, we have this new program um, called Game Design and it started last year. And so I've been really thinking about how to engage those students because they kind of expected to be working at a computer the whole time in in college because that's what they want to do with their careers. Um, And now they're sitting at this desk with a piece of charcoal in their hands thinking, what what the heck is she making me do? (laughs) Right, right. But I think that traditional drawing and design basics are still relevant and will provide them with the skills they can bring into the digital realm. I like to talk about how Disney likes students to be able to do figure drawing when they hire them. But I do think we need to make changes to our teaching and curriculums as well to stay current and make sure those students are staying engaged. Yeah, I mean, that, that's so important. And it, and it does take time on our end to really dig deep and, and find out what's going on and, and, and be really present in terms of new technology, which yeah. uh, for some faculty can, can be terrifying, right? <laughs> and so, I mean, are, are there ways in which that you're using technology in your classes? Because I know that you've done things with, with apps or that you've looked into that uh, in terms of developing curriculum. Yes. Well, I'm really excited about a program that I'm part of in the fall, and it is the Initiative for Inspiriting Student Engagement and Learning in the Classroom, and that involves giving students all iPad minis to use in the classroom, and uh, I develop assignments and projects around that. So it's um, a good portion of the coursework. We use the iPad instead of analog means, and that'll be something new for me and something new for the students here, at least for color design. Wow. So the so this will be for like a 2D design color course or for, for yeah. all the foundations? 
It's just for a class that we call color design, which is basically like 2D design for color. It's it's a color theory class. Oh, okay, great. Well, wow. So thinking about preparing for that, I can't even imagine, you know, like thinking about switching all of those approaches, demos and things that, that happen with actual, you know, material and then thinking about translating that onto the iPad. Like how have you begun preparing for that? that that's That's exciting. Yeah, well, we're still going to work with paint and traditional mediums because I do think it's important to be able to actually use the paint and mix the colors. But the iPad's going to be used in as a substitute for a textbook. The textbook is called Interaction of Color. You may have heard of it. Yeah. Of Albers, and it mm-hmm. was made into an app. The book has all of the text, but it also has some informational videos and it has activities where um, basically, you know, when you take the color aid paper and you can do comparisons and do all the activities in the textbook. Right, right, right. Yeah. So you can do that on the app. It has just little swatches you can select and it really speeds things up and is more user friendly than having this all these boxes of swatches that they have to go through. Oh, that's so exciting. So, okay, I have like a million questions about this. <laughs> I'm like way too excited about this. Um, so you guys, so did did you have to write a grant for this to happen? Or, or was this something that, that you pitched to, to the faculty in terms of getting this going? Well, I was really lucky because this program was still going on when I started. Just Well, it actually started before I got here. So it wasn't my idea, but this is the first time we'll have done it in the art department. Oh, great. Wow. So they'll have access to Albers and they'll have access to all those, yeah, all those color swatches and things online. So then you can do activities and they'll just be using the iPad more as a resource and a yeah. learning tool rather than like making work on the iPad. Is that right? Well, they're going to make some work too. So some things like creating a monochromatic drawing on the paper app, which is basically, you know, a drawing app where you can pick out different brushes and different hues. And then I'm also going to have a Pinterest board set up so they can post their drawings to Pinterest. And then we can discuss them where they're all together on this one board. Oh, that's really great. So then you can use it in in multiple fashions, but you're still going to have them using paper and paint like you were saying. Yes. Yeah. So the main assignments will probably be with paper and paint and marker, but it's going to be supplemented with the iPad assignments and they can use it for photography because I do like to integrate photography into the classes, but I can't be sure that everyone's going to have an iPhone or a a good camera on their smartphone. Usually most of the class does, but there's usually one or two people that doesn't. So this puts everybody on an even playing field with that. Oh, that's wonderful. And so will they have access to the iPads all the time? Like, will they check them out and take them home? Or is it the kind of thing where they'll just use it while they're in the the classroom space? I believe they get to take them home. So they have them for the whole semester. Oh, that's going to be huge in terms of just what they're going to be doing with it and how they're going to be um, interacting. And so are you going to like require them to post stuff on Pinterest and be engaged in, in that way as well? Yes. So I'll probably have them submit some photos of their work in progress. Um, so we can do in progress critiques on Pinterest and create a composition using only primary colors, then create a composition using secondary colors, which is, it would be a preparation to an actual painting assignment where they have to do that. So they kind of try it out on the app fast and then they can um, bring it to the painting and they'll, they'll be prepared for it. Oh, that's, that's, that's really smart. Well, so do you find that in, in your own practice that you're using technology or that you're using apps to make your work or to, to do research or to supplement your artistic practice? Well, I do like to go on Pinterest and collect images, and we have been using it a little bit in my other classes because, um, say, we're going to do a cardboard chair assignment in 3D design, so I can go on and find images of cardboard chairs and put them on the Pinterest site, and then we can look through that in class rather than, you know, making a slideshow for them. 
Right. And then rather than doing like a PowerPoint or something that you just have access to and you show them, this is something they can actually refer to and reference, you know, at two in the morning, whenever they want to look at it. Yeah. And we use Blackboard here. So all of the classes are made to be kind of partially web. So we we already use technology quite a bit. Um, they can I post all my PowerPoints onto Blackboard and a lot of the readings are on Blackboard and we do discussion boards. So we have already been using technology, but I think the iPads will just kind of be the next step. And the iPads different because they can actually use it to draw. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And with putting your PowerPoints and stuff on Blackboard, do you ever worry that they're just not going to come to class because everything will be online and they can just look at it later? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, part of their grade is based on attendance. So that's not really an issue, I guess. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's good. That's, that's really, really smart. Do you find that in, in your own art making practice that you use apps or do you do any like drawings on iPads yourself? Yes. So, well, I actually um, don't have my own iPad yet, but I borrowed one for a while from the school and I found that I was doing sketches and drawings on it a lot, you know, just going out and drawing a tree. So I think I'll probably do more with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, it seems like such, such a fun conversation to have about what different materials and tools can bring to the work in terms of the actual impression. And can you tell if it's done on the computer or on an iPad or on your phone or whatever? And does that matter? All those kinds of discussions seem like they could really be really exciting during critique. Well, and I was really inspired by the last fate conference because I went to a color design session and some of that, the presenters actually were using different technology in their classes. And I was able to use some of those ideas for my proposal, which is really helpful. And it was neat to see that people are, they are using photography and they're using drawings on the computer for their actual projects. So I think that it's something that's, it's just going that direction. And I think it's good to have a mix of technology and using, you know, markers and paints. Sure, sure. Like the, all of the stuff, you know, that, (laughs) that, that we have laying around. Absolutely. Um, well, and I I noticed too, you know, cause, um, we're friends on Facebook and I see your stuff on Instagram and, and I noticed that, that you have done some stuff in response to the women's March. You did it. Is it a watercolor that you did or? Well, it's, it's kind of a, I use acrylic gouache for that one. So it's, I use a lot of water with it, but it's on watercolor paper. So I guess technically it's acrylic on paper. Um, it's just watered down. It kind of, it's like watercolor. What I like about acrylic is when I do layers, it doesn't lift off the previous layer. Right, right. It kind of all stays put, which does, which yeah. is a good thing. <laughs> it makes things a little bit less complicated. Right. But yeah, but it seems like that was a maybe an important departure or new way of thinking about your own work in terms of like current events and, you know, politics and things like that. Are, are those ideas things that you bring into the classroom or that you've noticed students talking about or wanting to discuss? Well, I think that students are definitely talking about what's going on. I haven't really brought it into the classroom as much as I think I could. I've probably been maybe overly cautious about it just because I haven't really known how to deal with some difficult conversations that come up. So I think I've maybe been avoiding things a bit. And I think maybe the students are avoiding it too because they just don't want to get into conflict. But I also went to a session about that at the uh, fake conference. So. Oh, nice. So what, what kind of things did you take away from, from that? Well, I guess just not being afraid to have conversations with students and that they're adults and, you know, they just need to learn to talk to one another about things and have a civil conversation and I guess to just be brave. <laughs> yeah, which which can can be tricky. I don't have tenure at my university. You know, I mean, it's 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 some some things can in your mind seem like roadblocks, you know, or reasons why not to do this. Well, you know, I'll wait until this or that, or, you know, maybe someone else will do it, (laughs) Uh, which, yeah. It's between being brave and just being, um, you know, stupid about it. (laughs) Sure, sure. And 
you know, as someone who's a little more introverted, it, I don't come naturally to that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, how, how has that been in terms of like being in the classroom? I don't think anyone would probably describe me as a shy person. My sister's, well, she's a little bit shyer or on the shy side, or she's for sure more introverted than I am. And I, I guess, you know, I'm curious in terms of being in the classroom and, you know, having that, you know, you're in the front and you're leading the critique or you're, you know, talking about things. Has, has that been challenging? Well, you know, I would probably call myself an introverted entertainer. (laughs) 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 I I do really well in in group situations, especially when I'm tasked with leading the group. For me, it's the one-on-ones a little harder, I think, if I don't know the person. You know, once I get to know the students, it's not an issue at all. But when I'm in the group situation, it's just fun for me. I, I, I don't know. I like to have a sense of humor and right. you know, pair a lot for my class. So I always have something interesting to show them and to talk about. And I'm excited about the assignments. So they are too. So I guess I don't really feel like I'm shy in the classroom. Um, but maybe when I first started out as a grad student, that was more of an issue. But I, I do kind of enjoy the limelight a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you just admitted that. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> well, and you know, one thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about technology in the classroom and allowing students to have process critiques online, it seems like that would be a really, could be a really safe space for students that maybe don't feel comfortable talking and critique out loud where they, they might be shy or they might be more introverted or just nervous to say the wrong thing or, or whatever. So do you think that online they, they might feel more comfortable? I think so. I think people are more used to communicating online, at least the um, younger generation. I mean, people have deeper conversations online, it seems like, and they're willing to bring up tougher subjects. But then we also have to be careful to not to realize that the other person is an actual person and you you can't just rant at each other. We can't be trolls. (laughs) Right. Nor should we be in any situation, but especially in like a classroom environment. That's that's so true. That's so true. I'm curious, you you mentioned the cardboard chair project and um, you've kind of hinted at some uh, color projects. Are are there any that you're super excited about that you want to share? Well, I'm really into large scale projects and group projects right now. So if anyone has any uh, good ideas for those, let me know. But one that I just did for the first time last, I guess it was in the fall, for Intro to Drawing is a masking tape perspective project. And yeah, I've seen images of it online at different schools. And I think I found it on Pinterest, but I, you know, changed it a little bit and I just made it a group kind of exercise rather than a project, I would say. And students got into groups of three to four and I gave them a whole bunch of painter's tape and they went out into the hallway and they made a perspective drawing with the tape and created an illusion of space. Oh, nice. Well, so when when you put them into groups, did they pick the groups or did you pick the groups or like how did that work? I think I let them pick the groups that time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so they just, it was like an immediate, you know, one, two, three, go. And they went out and they did it. And then, um, that's, that's really, really cool. And so did you guys have a critique over it or was it something that you discussed or did you guys leave it up for other people to see it in the university? Yeah. Well, it, it took about two classes and maybe even just part of the class. It was pretty fast. But what I liked about it was that the students taught each other how to do one point and two point perspective. That can be really hard if you're struggling with it on your own. But when you see it large like that, and you're using the tape to find the vanishing points. It just it seems like it clicked for a lot more people. That's really smart because then it's it's such a forgiving material, you know, with with the tape. So you're you're not erasing, which can sometimes feel um, frustrating and hopeless, right? If if you just can't get the line right and you can't get the the perspective correct, that's that, that's a really cool idea. So do you have any do you have any other projects you want to share? 
Well, I just wanted to add a little bit about the Tate project. <laughs> I don't know if I Yeah, of course, it. of course. Yeah, 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 of course, please. <laughs> what we did was, well, I helped them if the group was stuck, you know, like the perspective isn't looking right or something like that. And um, we did walk around, at, we did sort of an informal critiques. We walked around and the group presented what they did and we talked about it. And then we left it out, up for several weeks and there was it was really interesting. There's a lot of talk about it throughout the building. People were like, oh, what class did that? It's really cool. And it was really fun to see the response. Oh, that's wonderful. That's that's exciting. And plus, it's it's something that they're able to have an audience for, you know, beyond yeah. their class. So I, I bet there were a lot of students that were just yeah, curious, like you're saying, and, and wondering how to do it. Wow. Well, so with the classes you teach, do you post your projects online or do you post like your project handouts or whatever? Are those available? Well, I have the the project handouts on Blackboard, so it's more for the students. And sometimes I share them on the FATE Facebook page. (laughs) Yeah, excellent. That's a nice little plug for the FATE Facebook page. A great place to share share photos, to share projects. Um, I get so many ideas um, from that page, and I, I really appreciate other people sharing stuff on there too. Wonderful. Well, so have, did, did you find that there were students that were really, did they get frustrated? Were there any outcomes that were maybe unexpected when you've done that project? Well, I think that they went, they went larger with it than I expected. So one group did this whole scene on this wall and then they made these tape cubes that went all the way down the hallway and led to the classroom. And, oh, wow. Uh, I was expecting more basic kind of, you know, small, like one point perspective maybe, or, you know, a room with a chair, but they really went all out with it and it was fun. I had some groups sort of layer the tape and be more imaginative with it. Like, I think they had some cubes that were um, arranged on the wall and then one cube was like throwing up another cube and it had... <laughs> meaning to it I don't remember what it was supposed to mean but (laughs) that's really cool so you just you don't give them any like okay you have to do it exactly like this you let them kind of decide what kind of design they're gonna do to sort of showcase that particular perspective yeah and you know in the future I might make it more of an actual project where they could spend more time on it and maybe have a few more parameters where I can actually grade it for this one it was more of just a participation grade but I think it would be nice to actually make it a project and maybe go bigger with it. Yeah, that's that's a really a really fun idea. I mean, I think as an activity, just to sort of get them moving around so they're not so tired of sitting at, at their desks and stuff, and all, and also to get them working with each other and and talking about you know elements and principles and and what's mm-hmm. actually happening in a really kind of low stakes, not precious oil paint or, or something that they've spent a lot of money on. So it's, it's just a quick thing. That, that's really cool. Yeah. I really have enjoyed having students do low pressure group projects this semester. So, you know, sometimes group, group work can be stressful. You know, they might feel that some per, someone isn't doing enough work or there might be conflicts within it, but if there isn't a grade attached to it, they seem to be fine. So just especially at the beginning, doing some low stakes things as group as a group is really nice to create some classroom cohesion and just getting them working together without the pressure of like, oh, I have to get an A on this. Right. And so many of them are so focused on that A, you know, and so focused mm-hmm. on, well, how does this count or what, how does this add into my final grade or, or whatever. So as you explain the activity, do you tell them like, this is not for a grade? Like, do you, do you say that in the beginning or do you kind of let them know afterwards? Oh, I definitely let them know before. I don't, I don't want to trick anybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. And have have you ever encountered anyone that's just like, well, it's not for a grade. I mean, but you're saying you have participation and attendance. So they understand that it it is important and and a relevant activity. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, some of them seem to step back a little bit more. Somebody always takes a leadership role in the group. But I think if the group is small enough, everybody has to do something. They just kind of feel that they you know, they want to help their peers and they don't want to be the person who's just like, no, you guys do it. I'm not doing. 
Right. They want to be involved in in some way or another. And they know that you're, you know, walking around and seeing what's what's going on or what's taking place. So do they have an entire like class period to work on this? Or is this something that just happens kind of quickly in, in one class? I think we used two or three partial classes because they're working on something else at the same time. Oh, nice. Nice. So it's always sort of a way to like break things up. Yeah. Like let's all run to the hallway. I know I had one day where the students stayed late. I was like, don't you need to go to lunch? And they're, they're working on the project. They're like, no, we have to finish this. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) That's a wonderful, that's like a dream, right? (laughs) (laughs) For them to be so excited about something like that. That's terrific. Are there any other projects that that you want to talk about or that you want to share? Well, in 3D design, the cardboard chair project was pretty successful. It was the first time I taught that project, and it was a larger scale project than we usually do. A lot of times in 3D, they're sort of, you know, something you could do in front of you on the table. So these were small group, and it was actually the final project. So I think the students did really well with it, and I definitely want to do something with them in the future. And it sounds like something so simple, but there's all these... um, you know, there's engineering, there's math, learning proportions, making a model and scaling it up. So within this bigger assignment, there's all these many things that they can learn. Absolutely. Well, so can you kind of walk us through what the the, the challenges or what, what sort of choices they have to make in coming up with, with a, a chair design? Yes. Yeah, so I encourage them to make an non-traditional chair. So, you know, it shouldn't just have a back and four legs. It needs to be able to support the weight of each member of the group at one time, not at the same time. I always say that. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and the parameters I gave were, I gave them a certain amount of cardboard and I said that you can use glue, but not tape, but the glue needs to be hidden. And I, yeah, that's the challenge of it. Because I think if you could use any material, it it would be difficult, but it wouldn't be um, quite as much of a challenge. And I think in the future, I've seen it done where there's no tape or glue. And I would like to do one like that. But I think there just need to be more time for experimentation because it's just more of a design challenge to make it stand without those things. Oh, definitely. And then it's like, yeah, it's like engineering and there's sort of math and measuring and cutting and scoring and sanding. And, you know, there's so much, um, you think of cardboard being like, okay, it's brown, whatever, it's flat, but it can do so many things. It's, it's really exciting. Yeah. And it's fun because they can interact with it. It's their, you know, their chair size. So they're pretty large and it's more than just sometimes in 3d design, I feel like we're in a toy workshop. Like, (laughs) you know, Santa's workers and we're just producing these things. And, you know, we we can think about where does this chair fit in with the history of design? What have other designers done? And so part of that is research. um, So they're not just reinventing the wheel. Like they make this modernist chair and think that it's completely unique. It's like, well, actually, this happened before. And right. But you don't need to reinvent that. So how can you expand it or how can you make it different or how can you, you know, tell a story or, or something like that? No, that that's, that's great. Do you ever find that students are maybe they're overwhelmed or with that project because it's, it's so specific in terms of it being a chair? Well, yeah, there's definitely some moments of frustration. Um, (laughs) I think having it in a group is helpful because usually the whole group isn't going to get stumped at the same time. So they help each other out and I'll help out, you know, and the thing is I'm not an expert chair builder, so we're all learning together. Exactly. Right. That's so true. That's so true. Well, so are these in groups of three as well, or do you kind of make it larger or smaller? Yes. So our classes are around 18 students. I think we had 16 in in the class. And so I did groups of three to four and I did choose the groups for this one. And I actually asked the students if they wanted to pick them or if they wanted me to choose them. And they decided that they wanted me to choose them. Oh, wow. And I'm, I'm curious why or because you would assume I mean at least I would assume that they'd all want to pick their own their own team and do their own thing so that's really interesting that they were like no 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 you should do it 
<laughs> well, you know, I think that they had worked with this kind of the same people in some smaller projects throughout the semester and they wanted to mix it up and work, work with some different people. And I did say that, um, I'm going to try to do the best I can with choosing the groups and try to put people together that don't know each other normally, or maybe someone that I've noticed who has been more outgoing with someone who's more shy. So I'm going to try to balance out the groups the best I can, but I I said, you're going to have to work with what you get. (laughs) Right. And which, which is such a good, thing to you know get in the habit of doing you know because whatever they want to do in 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 their careers in the future they're definitely going to have to work with people that most likely they didn't get to pick you know right I mean pretty much every area that they would be going into they're going to have to work with people especially graphic design and game design and art ed I mean studio art I guess some people can get away with sort of being um, very individualistic, but I think that studio artists still, you know, they need to have critiques and they need to be in group shows. So, I mean, just to get through life, we need to know how to work with other people. So why not start at the beginning in foundations? That's so true and so well said. I mean, I think it's 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 such a valuable skill and I think it's so easy, um, you know, because in foundations, we kind of have a lot to do, right? I mean, we have yeah. to teach them so many skills and they're learning a brand new language. And so I think sometimes it's it's easy to, to kind of forget about the human factor, which sounds so strange, I guess, but, um, but it is so important. I mean, they're learning how to share and how to talk and how to as, as we really, as, as all of us are and, and can continue to probably, but, but it's, it's so valuable. I, I guess that kind of leads to, I think you had a, had a, some, a question about creating an engaging and inclusive learning environment. <laughs> yeah. I, I sent you a little outline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> little fun topics of things we could chat about. That's right. I, I did put that on there. Yeah. So I, I did reflect on that a little bit. So I guess some things I thought about are that um, we're tasked with creating the conditions where students know and trust each other. And I like to play music in the classroom and bring snacks occasionally. Um, Yeah. And, you know, it just, it, it sounds like it's not serious, but I feel like creating a comfortable environment is an important part of, of teaching. And I want the students to know that I care about them and that they should care about each other. Mm, that's so valuable because they're creating a community, you know, and and once they graduate, I mean, they're going to be our peers in the art world or in the design world or whatever. And yeah, and, and how they treat each other really, really matters, you know, and how we treat them and, and all of that is incredibly crucial. Right. And in order to have s- successful critiques, they have to have some amount of trust because it's a von- vulnerable, pl- von- vulnerable place to be <laughs> when, um, you know, you show your artwork and then people comment on it. And if it's a good critique, there's a lot of constructive criticism. And if you don't trust each other to share those things, um, people either won't want to say anything negative because they think the other person will be mad at them or um, they'll be afraid to share their work. Oh, that's so true. And I mean, have you ever had an experience when you were in school where you had a critique that was either heartbreaking or just awful or thought provoking or any of those kinds of experiences? I I actually, <laughs> in undergrad, I found critiques to be a bit long and boring. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> I think that there's a little bit of that for students, no matter what, you know, is no matter right. how interesting they are when people aren't talking. I mean, everyone likes when people are talking about your work, but then when you, you know, you have to sit through everyone else's, which is fun. But after a while, you know, our attention spans start to slip a little bit. Um, sure. I did always enjoy hearing about the work, but I just, I just wanted to draw and paint a lot when I was an undergrad. Um, <laughs> so critiques, 
weren't my favorite things. So I think one of my goals is to make critiques more interesting and, you know, less painful, I guess. <laughs> sure. Well, and it can feel very like redundant and in a way that feels, yeah, sort of painful at times, whether you're, I think, a student or a faculty member probably. But, but I, yeah, it's, it can be really challenging to, you know, to kind of activate that activity, you know, and, and make it really relevant. And, and I think, um, you know, one thing that you mentioned was having like process critiques, you know, so talking about it when it's not done, because sometimes those final critiques, it's like, okay, cool idea. Thanks for telling me now, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. could I use that advice like two weeks ago before I turn this thing in? Do you find that having process critiques makes it a little bit safer in terms of those kind of conversations? Um, yeah, definitely, because they can always make changes. And sometimes people will suggest something and the student will be like, um, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) You know, we always say, well, that's okay. People are just making suggestions. You can consider it. But if you don't want to go that route, it's your work. So right, right. But just being open to that kind of feedback and conversation is is so important. Do you find that that you have critiques and that they're more successful like in a larger group, like a whole class, or do you do smaller group critiques or one-on-one critiques? I do a mix of everything. Nice. Yeah. And I think part of that is, well, learning when I was in grad school how to teach. I think that my foundations coordinator was Dean Adams. So you probably. Oh, of course. Of course. How wonderful. We should have just talked about him the entire time. (laughs) He's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a really good start to my teaching career because of that. And so I already did a lot of different types of critiques, but really going to fate conferences helped with that because I went to some different panels and uh, presentations about critique strategies and then tried them out in my classes. So now I have this whole vocabulary of critiques that I can use and it, I can go by what the class is like. If I have more introverts, we'll probably do more written critiques because they can express themselves that way or even just when they write it down and then they talk because they have something in front of them. And um, small group critiques are really good, especially for introverts. And it's it's less boring because it's faster. You know, they talk amongst themselves and then sometimes they can share their main ideas with a larger group. And I just think there are so many more options than just going piece by piece and discussing it you know, the traditional critique. That's so true. And I, I found that it, it, it's helpful to, to change it up, you know, and, and not do the same kind of critique every time, because then it's a little more um, exciting. The students don't necessarily know exactly how it's going to go, or it doesn't become so mundane. Right. That's really cool. So when, when you were at Montana State University, where Dean is, were, were you, did you take a class on how to teach or, or was that something that you just picked up on in terms of like when, when you were a TA? Well, I believe we, it wasn't a formal class, but we were, um, I was a TA uh, for one class every semester when I was in grad school. And we had, I think we had a training week or a training weekend. I don't really remember. And then every week or so, I think we met and talked about how the class was going. And we were given all of our sample syllabi and assignments that we can use. So and some of them I still use. So, oh, that's really wonderful. So you you could sort of pick your own assignments like within that sample sort of packet, or could could you come up with your own assignments if you wanted to? Yeah, we could come up with our own. I think our right away we were kind of encouraged to stick with the packet just to make sure, sure. that it would work. And we were not feeling, or at least I wasn't feeling quite confident enough to just go off and do my own thing. Um, yeah. right away. But as I went, I did develop some assignments or I changed them um, to suit my class or my teaching style. Oh, nice. And so was that a two-year program or a three-year program? That was a three-year program. Oh, nice. Very, very cool. And did you go straight from undergrad into grad school or did you take some time off or? Um, I had, I think about a year in between, I think a year and a half because I graduated in December. I graduated early with two major, actually three majors. So I, I have what a- in the world? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 
I have a BA in communications and a BFA in fine art, and then also a second major, I think, a BA in honors. So I wrote an undergraduate thesis. That was fun. <laughs> that was good pra- practice for your 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 MFA, I guess, right? Was <laughs> I really learned how to write? But so I was really busy in undergrad, and I yeah, I graduated in three and a half years, and I wish I would have studied abroad. That's my one thing that I encourage students to do if they can, because I was such in such a hurry to graduate that I didn't feel like I had time or money to stu- study abroad, but I, I could have. <laughs> mm. Is there a place that you wish you could have gone? Like, is there a place that you think about and you're like, oh, if I could only study abroad here, I would go there, you know? Well, one of my friends went to New Zealand. They had a program for our school, and I wish I would have done that, too. And now she lives in New Zealand, so I'm like, ah. Oh. How <laughs> but, exciting, though. But now you have a friend that you can go visit and stay with her. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but, yeah, so I had a year and a half in between, and I actually, my first job was for Amazon. Oh, um, really? Wow. Yeah, I, it was basically customer service, and I thought, well, this is really related to communications, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I found that it wasn't the career route that I wanted to go. <laughs> that must have been so difficult. I mean, customer service? Wow. Was, was there just a lot of, was there just a lot of like yelling unhappy people that were co- contacting you, or was it not, oh, not so bad? Well, luckily I was in seller support. So usually people were calling with more technical questions or things about how to deal with their customers. So it was okay. better. Um, and I mean, it was good to have a job when I first graduated, but uh, I was definitely trying to find another route fairly soon. And I went to Vermont Studio Center. Oh, I in- love Vermont Studio Center. That's such a great place. Yeah. And so I, I kind of learned there how to be a professional artist, you know, even how to name my work. And I developed a better body of work for grad school and applied. And then soon after I, you know, a lot of things happened in between, but soon after I went to Montana State University. Oh, nice. And then how long after you graduated with, with your MFA did you land the job in Arkansas? Because were you teaching or like adjuncting in Wisconsin or did I make that up? Yeah, I was teaching in Wisconsin. Well, I had, okay. I had about a year where I had a couple of residencies. So that sort of put me out of the cycle for teaching jobs. I don't know if I thought that through very well, but it actually <laughs> it it sounds like well. a great plan, though. Yeah, I had an artist residency at the Golden Foundation in, I think it was November, and then that September I was at an artist residency in Minnesota called the Anderson Center at Tower View. So I had two months of residencies pretty much in a row, which I was very fortunate to get because they are pretty competitive. And yeah. Yeah, so I had to figure out what I would do for the rest of the year. I worked at a car dealership, actually. Really? So what what did you do at a car dealership? Were um, you like selling well, cars or? No, but I probably would have made more money doing that. But <laughs> no, I just, it was like, um, I think I was a front desk receptionist in grad school as kind of a part-time job. And then um, during that time, I moved back to North Dakota, which was really hard going from Montana to North Dakota again, but really cold. And (laughs) and I was working in the service department of a car dealership and the people were really great. It was actually a really good job for what it was. It was just a little stressful because we had a really cold winter and there was a blizzard about every other week. And so when there's blizzards, people's cars break. Right. Oh, I imagine. Wow. So then... Oh, that's, that's incredible. So then, then you got the job in Wisconsin? Yeah. Yeah. So my first full-time teaching position was at the University of Wisconsin, Barron County. It's a two-year college in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, and it's part of the University of Wisconsin system. Um, So it's a little unique that way. It's not like a technical school. It's more like, you know, a two-year school where then they transfer to get their four-year degree. Oh, wow. Well, so then how has that been different being in a two-year school in Wisconsin and then going to Arkansas, which 
it's really hot, you know, down, down here. I'm, I'm in Texas. I bet that was a big change, you know, from a two-year school to a four-year school. And then from where you actually have a winter to where you really don't anymore. <laughs> it's, it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the enrollment at, um, University of Wisconsin, Barron County is around 700, I believe. So it's very small and I'm, I'm really appreciative of the experience. I was the only art instructor on my campus. So I did everything from instructing studio and lecture classes to managing the gallery. And I was also the advisor for art clubs. So I was, I was hired as a temporary lecturer. And so I was teaching full time and I actually stayed for two years and it was really great because I got to know all of the faculty because it was so small. It, I got to know, you know, the chemistry professor and the music professor and theaters, and it was all kind of this really tight knit group. Um, so it was actually a really good place to start out. And I really just had to learn everything really fast. I'm, I'm glad that I taught a lot in grad school because it would have been really hard if I didn't have any teaching experience. Sure. And, and it sounds like that community really allowed you to, you know, expand your horizons, you know, in terms of being not in a tenure track position, but, but still being full time and teaching all kinds of things, but still feeling like, like you're in a community. Cause I know when I started out, out of grad school, I was adjuncting kind of all over the place, but in Louisiana for a minute. And it's just, you know, you're just kind of floating, like you're not, you're sort of there, but you're not there. There's just sort of this, this feeling of being kind of in between, if, if that makes any sense. So it's, it's really great that that you had that experience. Yeah, yeah, it was really great. I was really lucky to to get a full-time teaching position that quick, I guess. So now I'm a visiting assistant professor of art in Studio Foundations at Arkansas Tech, and this will be my second year. And when I started, it was the first time they had a dedicated foundations professor, and the art program's growing a lot, so it's really exciting. And in comparison, to um, the small school where I was at uh, the last couple of years, the university has about 12,000 students. So it's more comparable in size to where I went to school. Oh, incredible. Well, wonderful. This has been so nice to chat with you. And I really, really yeah. appreciate you taking the time to, um, to have this conversation. And I'm so excited about all this stuff that you're doing. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you are very welcome. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.